Hey guys, what's going on? I'm going to try to squeeze a lot into this podcast. There's a lot going on in sports and a lot of things I've got thoughts about. So we're going to talk uh, We're going to talk college basketball in the bracket. We're going to talk about Coach K and his legacy or lack thereof. I'm going to talk to you guys about a little bit about MLB and NFL free agency. And then uh, last but not least, I'm going to talk about the Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid showdown. And then uh, hit on something I've noticed with the Sixers over the last, uh, over the last couple games. So if you like this pod, hit the subscribe button, tell your friends, uh, follow us on all social media at Between the Yards, and let's get into it. Washington's on your side. It must be nice. It must be nice to have everybody on your side. It must be nice. It must be nice to have Washington's by your side. It must be nice. It must be nice. Okay, so welcome into Between the Yards and Selection Sunday has come and gone. We have a bracket, and it's the best time of the year for college basketball. Uh, People that don't watch college basketball are going to watch college basketball this month. Um, Thursday, Friday are two of my favorite days out of the year. You've got two full days, 12 hours of basketball, all on national TV. People at work trying to figure out how to watch the games. Kind of The world kind of stops to a degree. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's always fun. It's always exciting. So looking at the bracket... I don't have a ton of complaints. I'm not a big uh, complain about seating guy or uh, talk about the snubs. If you're in, you're in. If you're out, you're out. The biggest takeaway, I think, though, uh, is that conference tournaments don't really matter unless you get that automatic bid. Um, Virginia Tech and Richmond both snuck in with their automatic bids on Saturday and Sunday. and But other than that, it doesn't really matter. Texas A&M makes this great run all the way to the final, Uh, they lose to Tennessee. But then Tennessee, who a lot of, you know, bracketologists had sitting at the three seed before this tournament, before they won the SEC, which I think is one of the deepest and one of the best and most top heavy, um, they stayed on the three seed. They didn't move. So, you know, like I said, you you can argue to the cows come home about who should be in, who shouldn't be in. Uh, I don't think that Notre Dame and Miami should be in. Quite frankly, I think the ACC was garbage. Um, Iowa State had a really like, like uh, they got off to a hot start in conference and they just completely fell off towards the end of the year. But the what have you done for me lately doesn't matter. You have to look at the uh, the resume as a whole, the whole season. So, um, yeah, like I said, there's some snubs in there. There's there's some teams that I've got getting bounced the first round, but. <clears throat> Actually, looking at the bracket, uh, in the last podcast, I talked to you guys about uh, five teams that I thought could could actually realistically win it all. And you've got two of those teams in the same region in the West in Gonzaga and Duke. Now, Duke, over the last week or so, has completely fell apart. Um, well, completely is a loose word, I guess, but that's my anti-Duke bias talking. But... They got crushed on Coach K night by North Carolina. We've all, you know, heard that by now. 
they advance to the ACC final and then they get they get blown out of the building by Virginia Tech, um, which is awesome. Uh, you don't let Coach K get uh, his last win against UNC and then you don't let him win his last ACC tournament. That's awesome. <clears throat> now that West region is, I think, the gauntlet out of out of the four. Um, and in my bracket, I mean, odds odds will probably still tell you that. Gonzaga or Duke will come out of that bracket, but in mine, I don't have either one making it to the Sweet 16. So uh, I think Memphis, as the nine seed, if Boise wins, it's all about matchups, right? You 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 pick your games and you you think about who's going to win. But at the end of the day, if certain teams don't advance advance per, past the first second rounds, it doesn't really matter. But um, if Memphis beats Boise on Thursday. I think the, I think Gonzaga will have their hands full all the way to the end if they make it that far. Memphis was a preseason. I think uh, they were definitely top twenty-five. They may have been top ten. Um, they've been on a tear lately. Penny Hardaway's got the kids playing better. Uh, Jalen Doran on the inside is awesome. So I think Memphis could pull off that upset. Then you've got the winner of a UConn, Arkansas. Arkansas's top level talent. They they play at a very high pace, so they can match Gonzaga. UConn has some has some real experience and a great coach in Dan Hurley. Then you go down to the other side, and you've got Alabama, who they've beaten some of the best teams in the country and they've lost to some of the worst. So they've beaten one seed Gonzaga, they've beaten one seed Baylor, they have beaten um they've beaten Houston, who was a Final Four team a year ago. So the the ceiling for them is is super high. Now, could they lose to Rutgers or Notre Dame? A hundred percent, absolutely. Depends on which Alabama team shows up. But then you've got Texas Tech. They play great defense and they give themselves a shot every game. It depends on whether or not they're making their shots. And then you've got Michigan State and Davidson. Um, that game's going to be really good. Low key. Um, Really great first round matchup. You've got Tom Izzo, and then you've got Bob McKillop. Uh, you know that's a legendary coach coaching matchup as it is. Um, both of which teams I think can give Duke a problem. Now that said, I just listed off eight, nine, you know, ten teams on this side of the bracket that essentially could do damage, and I think Gonzaga has their work cut out for them. So I don't know. Uh, up to you guys, but and Gonzaga's the best team in the country. You know, I wouldn't say by a far margin, but they've they've earned the top overall seed. The committee didn't do them any favors, though. They're gonna they're gonna have a rough road. So we'll see what happens. It should be very interesting. But um, then looking at the rest, you, I had I had a hard time picking some upsets. You've got um, you've got some small schools with high seeds this year because a lot of the big conferences underperformed. And then you've got some other schools that they're high seeds, but they were a little lucky talking about like a Wisconsin Providence, both regular season champions of their conferences, but the ball bounced their way a good portion. And you've got a Michigan as an 11 seed. that has got a high ceiling. Um, so it'll be interesting. I think, I think Arizona has the easiest road to the final four out of any of the one seeds. Um, I could see, uh, I could see a lot of 
you know, the one seeds, just like I mentioned with Gonzaga, kind of having a tough road. But um, Arizona's going to get the winner of a Seton Hall TCU, both pesky teams, but I don't see them giving them any real trouble. The biggest thing that Arizona's got going for them is that they play at a high pace and they score efficiently. They are a really good team. They they had, I think, the largest margin of victory this season. So it's going to be tough for teams to keep up. I think if they get Houston in the Sweet 16, it could be a tough matchup. That the winner of that Houston Illinois game, if if uh, you know that, and that's assuming neither one gets upset, but the winner of that in the Sweet 16 against Arizona, I think is going to be their toughest matchup. Illinois has Kofi Coburn. Uh, you know they have uh, Andre Curbelo and Trent Frazier, experienced guards, really talented big man. That's usually a success. Uh, combination in March. Houston and Kelvin Sampson, they they play great basketball. So I think that's going to be an interesting one in the Sweet 16. But outside of that, the other side of the bracket's going to beat themselves up. But I don't see Michigan making it that far. I don't see Tennessee. Um, if they do get to the Elite Eight versus Arizona, I don't think they have the firepower. Their offense can be atrocious at times. So if they go dead, Arizona's going to run away with it. Same thing with like a Loyola Chicago, Villanova, Ohio State. If any of those teams have a bad shooting night, like if Colin Gillespie's out, off for Nova and Jay Wright's a great coach, but they're terribly thin this year. They're not very deep. They don't have a ton of bench presence. If Gillespie doesn't have a great game, Nova's not Nova's not going anywhere. So I just think Arizona has the highest ceiling. I think they could roll through this side of the bracket. We'll, we'll see. Um, outside of that, I think Auburn comes out of the Midwest. I think that Auburn-Kansas matchup has the potential to be a lot of fun. Um, outside of that, I don't see a big presence for for upsets in this side as far as like teams making a deep run. I mentioned Providence and Wisconsin already. They had great regular seasons. Johnny Davis is an animal for Wisconsin. Um, but they're just they've just been lucky. Wisconsin's cooled off, especially they they lost against Nebraska towards the end of the season. Um, they got bounced in their first game in the Big Ten tournament, if I'm not mistaken. LSU just lost their head coach. Um, Iowa's super hot and cold all the time. So I, I, I just don't see it. Um, Miami shouldn't be in the tournament. USC, they don't have a star. Um, I think Andy Enfield kind of got lucky here with with uh, a weak Pac-12 schedule, and they're still a seven seed, so that's kind of an indictment on the Pac-12 as it is outside of Arizona and UCLA. Um, there wasn't much to offer there. And then in the East, this one has the potential to be very interesting. Um, I think the winner of that Wyoming-Indiana game can beat St. Mary's and go on and play what I think is going to be a UCLA team um, North Carolina can score at will, but Marquette can shut down anybody. Um, our guy, Daryl Morsell's on Mar- Marquette. He's probably one of the best defensive players in the country. So that matchup for Baylor is going to be fun. Um, first four game, by the way, that Wyoming-Indiana game, don't sleep on that. Uh, Wyoming's got a couple of guys that are really good. Uh, Hunter Maldonado's one of them, and they've got a big guy too, and I can't remember his name, but uh, – I've watched a lot of their games this year. They're 
I wouldn't say they're fun to watch, but they're a really good team that plays well together. They play at an incredibly slow pace, so that's why I won't use the word fun. Um, Indiana has uh, Trace Jackson Davis, and and he's a he's a great big man, great post presence. He, he you know clean glass, um, so that'll be fun to watch. I, I'm very excited for that. Usually, there's one first four game that you can pick out, circle on your calendar, and and that's mine. Rutgers Notre Dame, I could care less. Um, and the two sixteen seeds, good for good for them, and 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 good on getting prime time, and in the national spotlight, and you know never forget UMBC, but I don't think either one's going to beat Arizona or Kansas. So like I said, and, and I'll watch those games, but I, I won't care too much. Um, then you've got uh, down in the bottom, you've got an interesting Texas Virginia Tech matchup. Virginia Tech's hot, Texas is not. Uh, Texas has a lot of Transfers, they don't play well together. I don't think they fit in Chris Beard's system, even though I think he was the reason a lot of the transfers came. Um, Purdue always seems to choke in March. And then Yale, I mean, I, I, I don't know why, but I feel like the Ivy League teams are always pesky. They always kind of give somebody trouble. They're usually between that 12 and 14 range, and they usually keep it close. Murray State and San Francisco – is an interesting small school matchup to watch out for. Murray State went undefeated in their conference, and they ran through their conference tournament. And then San Francisco, they beat, um, I think it was Davidson, Towson, and there was one other quality win they had in there. But they beat three teams who were regular season champions of smaller conferences. So... Very interested to see how they play in the tournament. They've got a kid, Shabazz, who uh, who's a machine. Point guard, really fun to watch. Jacks up threes and hits them at a high rate. And then you've got Kentucky, um, who's probably, between them and UCLA and Baylor, those three are probably the three most complete teams. Um, Purdue has Jaden Ivey, and he's really fun to watch. But And they've got big men who, who are great down low. But I, I just think Jaden Ivey's their, their sweet spot. They don't feed him the ball enough, which is another, you know, point to make. But I think this team has three. This bracket, sorry, has three really complete teams. Like I said, in Baylor, UCLA, Kentucky. We all remember UCLA's run last year. Now they're a four seed, and they could be higher potentially. But they return all of those starters, so they've got the experience in March. Baylor won it all last year, so you know they've got the experience in March. And then Kentucky while they don't have that March experience, they're really, really good. And they've got the national player of the year in Oscar Shibway. So it's going to be fun. Um, looking at a bracket, you can break it down 80 different ways. And, and there's, there's uh, tons of shows for that, but I'm super excited. I can't wait for this. It's again, like I said, the best part of the year, everybody's going to be watching. Everybody gets to find out who these kids are, who, you know, college basketball diehards have been watching all year, but now you get these kids in the spotlight. It's fun for them. It's fun for us. And uh, it should be a good time. I'm going to come back and talk to you guys about uh, Coach K's legacy in just a second. Okay, so I want to get into some uh, some of Coach K's legacy, right? Um it's been a big deal since the Carolina game. It's been a big deal since this season that Coach K is retiring. He came out last year, told everybody he was retiring. John Shire was going to take over as head coach. 
Um, and these retirement tours have kind of become, um, they become a new thing, uh, you know, over recent years. It's, it started kind of in baseball with the, I guess it was Jeter, uh, Marion Rivera, you know, David Ortiz, guys like that. And, uh, I mean, Cal Ripken did it back in 01. He got his send off, but more recent years, last 10 or so years, like guys that have been held in high regard do this. They get their send off. They get, uh, tribute videos. Um, I think Dirk did it a few years back in the NBA, a few other guys. Anyway, um, you do this stuff because you're, you're well-liked, you're well-respected. People call you, you know, a legend, right? And with being a legend, being a winner, comes your legacy. I think that you can't have a legacy without being a winner, but you can be a winner and not have a legacy. There's a difference, I think. Um, for guys like for guys like Jeter, Mariano Rivera, even a David Ortiz, they have they have and they had legacies. Mariano's the best closer of all time. Derek Jeter's one of those guys. He won five championships. He was the core, the captain of the Yankees, blah, blah, blah. I can't stand him, so it's a different story. David Ortiz led the best comeback in baseball history, hit a ton of home runs. You know, he, he had that presence. Dirk had Dirk's the guy in Dallas. If Dirk doesn't come along to Dallas, and you know, Mark Cuban's there, but I don't know. Is, is that an irrelevant franchise? Kind of like, a, I don't know, Sacramento Kings, right? I, I mean, you had one or two guys before Dirk. Dirk brought them their first championship, the whole nine. He leaves a legacy. Uh, and, and not to mention, uh, like, the legacy he left for European players, right? He was probably one of the first ones uh, to to really be the cornerstone of a franchise. And now you've got guys coming from Europe all the time. And, um, you know, one on Dallas themselves, you've got Luka Doncic, who's one of the best players in the NBA. So he kind of changed that, right? You, you've got these legacies. You've got these lasting impacts. College sports is interesting in the fact that guys get lifetime contracts, essentially. As long as you don't F up and as long as you keep your teams in the tournament and keep them competitive and towards the top of your, top of your conference, as you should after being at your schools for a certain period of time. I don't, I don't know what that magic number is, but there, there are guys who have been around for a long, long time and who will continue to be around for a long, long time that are very good. Now, John Wooden right? He's, he was the first and he won a ton of championships. And I know it was a different era of basketball, but he won a ton of championships. People are going to UCLA. They've got the all time record except for UConn women. Um, but for wins in a row, but John Wooden kind of set that, he set the bar. He was bringing in guys who went on to become hall of famers in the NBA then you have a guy like Dean Smith, same type of thing, like churned out NBA talent. And then you have uh, a Roy Williams, a Bobby Knight, these type of guys. Now you've got Bill Self, Coach Cal, um, you know, 
different guys. And you had Coach K. Coach K was a staple. Coach K was in that. He started in Duke in 1980. So it's been like 43 years. So he coached against Dean. Bobby Knight was his mentor. He coached. I, I don't know if Wooden was still coaching when he was like a rookie coach. But he's kind of seen it all. And he's seen the college basketball landscape change tenfold. But what we don't talk about is, I mean, and I don't know if it's been the last 10 years or the last 15 years, but like Coach K, over the course of his career, I don't know. He he didn't get these big send-offs during his retirement tour this year. He was upset because their biggest and most hated rival, North Carolina, who like – I think any way you spin it, that's a top three rivalry in sports, period. Period. Like professional, college, whatever. It's a top three rivalry. Duke and Carolina basketball. He's upset because they didn't give him a send-off. Why would you? You hate the guy. They probably yell terrible, 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 awesome things at this guy. (laughs) Um, Why would you give him a send-off? I wouldn't even want one if I was Coach K. But... Point being, he stopped doing this stuff. And it was always Coach K's way or the highway. And and to a to a point, you get that when you're when you're that good, right? He won games. I'm not dispelling the fact that he won basketball games. Everyone knows that. I just don't know how much people liked him and what kind of positive impact he left on the game. There was a stigma on Duke for a long, long time, like that that black players didn't want to go there for a long time. Elton Brand um, was written a letter by a Duke alum, um, and I think it speaks to the fan base. I think it speaks to Coach K, and I think it speaks to their their brand because he built a, he built a certain kind of brand there. Um, essentially. It was an alum, and she told Elton Brand how how disgusted she was with him after leaving after his sophomore year to go to the NBA to get paid. I'm pretty positive he was a top five pick in that draft. Um, matter of fact, he may have gone number one. Um, but either way, Elton Brand went to make a lot of money, and Elton Brand wrote back to her and said, "I wouldn't expect you know you to understand because I'm sure your dad and your rich parents got to send yourself to college." which is a good thing for you. Um, he he said he struggled and worked very hard and the whole thing, and he went off to the NBA and he had a decent career and made a lot of money. So, like, he even said that this type of attitude was why he de- part of the reason why he decided not to come back. And in the letter, the girl wrote, like, I'm not going to consider you a Duke basketball player. And when he wrote back, he said, good, I don't care. I don't care about you, your alumni. I care about getting mine. Which, I'm pretty sure that's all Coach K cared about, was getting his. So, if you look at the course of of Duke basketball history, it was a garbage program until Coach K got there, right? He built it up, the whole thing. He, over the course of, I think, his 43 years, he had 76 guys go to the NBA. 76 guys. And that's fine. 40 of them were after 2010, which I consider to be kind of the one and done era, right? So you've had more than 40 
go, or you've had 40 exactly go during this one and done era. So before that time, 2010, you had three guys. So over the course of 30 years, I'd call it three guys that have had like a decent NBA career. Grant Hill, he got injured. Grant Hill was an all-world talent. I can't deny that. Shane Battier, defensive prowess, 3 and D guy. Elton Brand, you know, he scored 15, 16 a game um, throughout his career. Good power forward. A guy that probably he was in the perfect era of basketball as far as like big bruising power forward. He probably wouldn't last long in today's game, but like, did these guys get better under Coach K? Do we know that they got better? I mean, okay, you want to talk about uh, you want to talk about a JJ Redick? Go ahead, talk my ear off about JJ Redick. He didn't win a championship in college. He didn't win a championship in the NBA, and he was never the top. He was never one of the top three best players on his NBA team. He was a shooter. He was a shooter. That's what he did. He shot. And guess what? When he got to Duke, he could shoot. Why didn't he get better? Please uh, enlighten me because he did not get better. He could shoot when he got there. He could shoot when he left, and he could shoot in the NBA. He didn't play a ton of defense. He wasn't a great ball handler. He was great moving off the ball and shooting. And credit to him for knowing what to do. And and he's, you know, he's a very smart guy and all that. And whatever, good on him. I can't stand him. I mean, I guess you could talk about like a Carlos Boozer. Nice career. Fine. There are three guys. Three. Since nine that have been drafted from Duke since 1980 that have 20 that have averaged 20 points per game or better in the NBA. Kyrie Irving who, if you don't recall, was out injured most of his one year at Duke. So, like, he wasn't even really getting coached there. Jason Tatum, who, fine, he played one year, one and done, gone, went to the NBA. Again, if we're living in in pre-whatever it was, 2006, 2007, like, Jason Tatum's probably a guy who goes straight to the league. Zion... Same thing. And Zion hasn't played in God knows how long. He's averaging the highest of the three, but longevity's not there, the whole thing. So we don't know what he's going to, and we don't know what he's going to be like when he gets back. But Zion, again, probably could have gone to the league out of high school. So I don't know that these guys got better. And, and you talk about Coach K's culture and Coach K this and, 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 He's, he's helping young men and raising great young men and blah, blah, blah. Is he? Like, Bobby Hurley, one of the most hated people ever, along with Christian Leitner, total jerks, cocky, arrogant, for what? To go to the league and do nothing? Christian Leitner played for like 11 years and averaged, I think, like 10 a game. Good for him. For one of the best college basketball players of his era. Who, by the way, got picked to be on the USA Dream Team over Shaq when they picked one college player? Hilarious. Hilarious. You So you have those two guys. Uh, J.J. Redick, same guy. Arrogant, cocky. Everybody hated him. 
And then they did a special on him on ESPN about, like, everyone hates J.J. Redick and how everybody was getting in his head. That's what college fan bases do. 18 to 21-year-olds get drunk, go to games, and yell at guys they hate. And to to throw them off their game, because guess what? They're kids, too, and they will get thrown off their game. It happens. And then, um, then you have like a Jay Williams, and it's tragic what happened to him, the the motorcycle accident, but no helmet, like didn't have his motorcycle license, was obviously speeding. You know, accidents happen and all, and young kids are going to make mistakes, and I'm sure Jay Williams would could take that back if he did if he could, but. Point being, what values did Coach K instill in him? Meanwhile, he was the same type of dude. Cocky, arrogant. Got drafted number two overall. Was supposed to be really, really good. Um, And then, you know, you just have... It, it, it just goes on. The list goes on and on and on. This year, you have uh, Paolo Bancaro and, and Coach K's grandson get pulled over for a DUI, and they probably switched seats. So Paolo Boncaro didn't get in trouble, but Coach K's grandson, who is never going to touch the court, whatever. Like, Kyrie Irving, one of the most polarizing, like, personalities in the NBA today, whether that's good or bad, he does some really good in the community, and he does some other, like, really stupid knucklehead stuff. Jalen Johnson last year, it came to, I would say this whole thing came to a head. Jalen Johnson didn't want to play for Coach K anymore because he was an asshole and Coach K is an asshole, but it's Coach K's way or the highway. So what do you do here, right? I mean, he's won, I would call it one championship in the one and done era, which, you know, five championships over 40 years is awesome. Again, I'll give that to you. But... The twenty the, the 09, 2010 season, we were still kind of transitioning. You know, you didn't have you had some one and done guys, but you didn't have a ton. Um and if Gordon Hayward hits that shot, we're not even talking about this team. But then twenty fifteen, you have your one and done team. Um Tyus Jones, um Tyus Jones, Justice Winslow, Jaleel Okafor. And none of them are doing anything in the league. So, like I said, I just don't. Coach K was good. Coach K got the best out of his players right now. If you listen to any Michael Jordan interview, he talks about Dean Smith and how awesome Dean Smith was and how he wouldn't be where he was if it wasn't for Dean Smith. And and I think his, his trajectory in college showed you that. He was good his freshman year. He got better, and then he was awesome his junior year, and then he went to the league, and he became the best ever. So, I don't know. You look at these guys, and like I said, so from 2010 on, when the recruiting landscape had to change because of the rules, and coaches adopted it and moved forward with it, like a Coach Calipari who also universally hated, but other coaches embraced it, and Coach K said, no, let's go back to the, like, don't embrace this one-and-done crap. Like, kids need to stay in school, kids this, kids that. It, you don't get to choose. You are not bigger than the sport, bigger than the NCAA. 
and we all have problems with the NCAA. We all have problems, you know, with that NBA rule, the one and done rule, but you adapt and you advance. So it took him a little bit longer to embrace it because he didn't want to. And then he did. They won a championship. And then, I don't know, they've been very inconsistent since all of that. So, I don't know, like I said, he got the best out of his players right now. He was getting one and done, and one and done guys are hit or miss as it is, but 40 of those 76 that got to the league were in the one and done era. Maybe they weren't one and done guys, I just checked dates, but it's just an interesting very interesting thing when you look at it and then he's always it's always he always makes it about him always makes it about him i mean he's been the driving force behind the don't storm the court crowd who cares like i alluded to before 18 to 21 year old kids get drunk go to a basketball game have fun and then you beat duke You know why they stormed the court? Because they hate your ass. Because they hate you. Like, if you, I mean, yeah, if you have a top five team in the country and you get beat by some scrub team, they're probably going to storm the court. And no one cares. You get off the court. You lose to a team you should have beat, get off the court. Go home. Shut up. You don't have anything to say. So you say they shouldn't storm the court. Because you don't want to answer real questions about why did you lose the game? Why did you make that crucial mistake? Why didn't you call that timeout? Instead, you steal the show and say, don't storm the court. It's dangerous. Shut up. How many people have been hurt from a court storming? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. It's few and far in between. I'll tell you that much. Because it would have been stopped if it was a problem by now. I mean, I've got some other notes here, but... For the for the most part, I mean, he's arrogant. He's cocky. No one liked him, and it's and it's different. There, like, there are people that win, and they're still liked. People, I mean, Tom Brady is very polarizing, but unless you're a direct rival of his team, everyone loves him. For the most part, I, I would say it's probably like an eighty twenty split. I'm in the 20%. I don't like him, but that's because the Ravens had to go through the Patriots to get to the Super Bowl. I respect him. Don't get me wrong. And what he's doing at, you know, 42, 43 is awesome. But I don't know. You never got that feeling from Coach K. I don't know. It, it His coaching tree is also garbage. No one, I mean, Mike Bray is very good, but outside of that, you look at, you know, coaching tree, the, the the Coach K coaching tree, and it's, it sucks, it's garbage. I mean, even Mike Bray, to a degree, like, if you leave, if you coach under Coach K, obviously that's a big, uh, uh, big shoes to fill or whatever, but then, like, going on and trying to coach an, another program and build that program like he did, I mean, Mike Bray has had the one, like, Elite Eight run, I think where they almost beat Kentucky or they did beat Kentucky. That, that was that was his best run in the tournament. And now, so coaching tree garbage. Um, I found this one interesting too. Um, 
he's the only coach to coach more than one Olympic team. And I'm pretty sure it was his mentor, Bobby Knight, who called him out on it. Like, he didn't want to pass the torch. You don't want to let somebody else grab that Coach USA thing. Um, and then you, you burned a bridge with Bobby Knight, which, I mean, Bobby Knight, I'm not saying that he was a good guy by any stretch of the imagination. Probably two of your most, probably two of your most hated college basketball coaches over the last however many years that were, that went and were successful and coached for a long, long time. But you burned that bridge. This one's kind of messed up to talk about too, but like he didn't like Jimmy V while Jimmy V was coaching. And of course, you know, I I wasn't around for Jimmy V, but like everyone liked him. He was loud, brash, entertaining, but he was awesome. I mean, I've seen everyone's seen the documentaries and of course the the V Foundation and the speeches and everything else, but he was funny. Like, he was like a public entity. Then he became a broadcaster, and still everyone loved him. And then, so the story goes, that that's when he and Coach K got close. But, like, like I said, it's kind of messed up to say, but did you just get close to him, like, while he was being treated at Duke for cancer? It's an interesting way, interesting thing to look at. I don't know. I don't want to die on that take either, but like the guy wasn't liked. People did not like Coach K. You can say respected. You can say whatever. You can say that Kobe and and LeBron almost went there. Yeah, almost only counts in hand grenades and horseshoes, guys. And maybe there was a reason. Like I said, like black players didn't really want to go there for a long, long time. I think it was right in that Kobe wheelhouse. Um, because I, I, I think I guess Elton Brand would have been in the same recruiting class as him right around that that time, but still. And of course, the game has changed, and and that's not a narrative anymore. But it was, and so if you look at Coach K's career, and if you ask anybody why he's a legend, they're just going to talk your ear off about winning, 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 winning. Take a deeper look. Look at the facts. Look at some of the things. People didn't get better. They didn't They didn't ask, you know, hardly ever hear Coach K being mentioned because his guys don't really progress in the NBA. Uh, he did like that one commercial a couple years ago, but yeah, of course people love their coach when they, when they win a national title. I'd be curious to hear what a lot of those guys have to say about him. Yeah, they showed up to his last game. So maybe they do like him, but I, I don't know. From the outside looking in, there's a lot of people that don't like Coach K, and it's for a lot of reasons, and it's not just because he won. It's not just because he got he kicked your ass in basketball. It's a character thing. I mean, last things last thing, and I will uh, I'll be done on my my Coach K rant. But I mean, he wouldn't he wouldn't come back to Maryland after we left the ACC. For what? Because we left the ACC and we weakened his conference or because we were one of his toughest games or because he didn't like our fans, whatever. Whatever the case was, I, I say again, it was Coach K's way or the highway. And you you earn that to a degree, but then after a while it gets old. It gets old. 
then at what point are you old man yelling at cloud? I don't know. I think of the last 15 years or so, Coach K has been old man yelling at cloud. He comes up with something to be mad about, and then he he's mad. And then he bitches and complains till he gets his way. They shouldn't be playing shouldn't be playing basketball when his team was going to miss the tournament. And then during the COVID spike this year, it was great to have basketball back. So what are you going to do? But that's my Coach K rant. I'll be back. Going to take a break. All right. So changing gears, I'm going to talk to you guys about MLB and uh, NFL free agency, both in, in different stages, right? So, Major League Baseball and the Players Association obviously came to an agreement. The lockout is over. Uh, Teams are reporting for spring training, but there were some guys that didn't sign before the lockout who have to get their contracts sorted out. And then teams, you know, we we didn't have the winter meeting, so there's not being there weren't all these trades and things like that. So the the hot stove's heating up. And uh, first things first, uh, the Orioles are pretty much in. uh, Pretty much in tank, post-tank purgatory, right? So we've got all of our prospects ready to kind of come up. I think in the latest top 100 rankings, I've seen anywhere from like five to eight Orioles in the top 100 prospects across baseball, led by Adley Rutschman, who I hope will be up in, I imagine he'll be up in late April. They're going to manipulate his service time or whatever. So... Um, there's been the Correa rumors flying around. There's one guy on Twitter that's like adamant that the Orioles made an offer and made a 10 year offer, but Scott Boris is, uh, completely manipulating hit the Correa situation. Um, basically Correa switched agencies during the lockout. So any team that offered him a contract pre lockout, if he were to sign or take any of those deals, essentially the commission would be split up between his old agency and Scott Boris. So Scott Boris, as we all know, is going to get his money too. So he has been advising Correa to sign a deal where he can opt out after one year, which very interesting to me. But um, And then essentially sign another mega deal next year so Boris gets all of his commission. Again, crazy, but I don't see the Orioles agreeing to something like that. For a rebuilding team that's essentially looking for a centerpiece of the franchise or a veteran voice in the clubhouse, you know, there's the Mike Elias connection. He was Mike Elias' first draft pick in Houston, but you can't sign a guy to an opt-out after one year because if he's not happy, doesn't, you know, whatever the case may be, he will he'll leave and then you're up creek without a paddle and now you just paid twenty eight million dollars to a guy for, for what? For nothing. Essentially. Essentially nothing. So um it sucks, but and and that's the other thing. I don't know where Correa is gonna go. They they're saying that talks are heating up uh, for him to go back to Houston. So if that if that happens, good on him. Um I guess, you know, go back and, and he tested the waters and he just is gonna go back home to the team that drafted him. We'll see a little bit of, of loyalty there, I guess. But um, then you've got the Freddie Freeman situation, and it, it hurts to see a guy like Freddie Freeman who 
he was their first like big while they were tanking he was their only solid piece he went through the rebuild he stayed there they built it up and it culminated in a world series last year and great for them and great for freddie freeman and i'm glad they won um it, it looks like all signs are pointing to him going to the dodgers so he's going to get paid as he should he's one of the best first baseman in the league if not the best but then for Braves fans, it's not all bad because they just traded for Matt Olson. And Matt Olson is younger. Matt Olson is also a gold glover. So you're not going to have that fall off at first base. Like Freddie Freeman is the best defender in the game. Uh, if you want to argue about Eric Hosmer, sure, but he doesn't have the same bat. So they gave up a bunch of prospects, including uh, Christian, Christian Pache, who's their number one prospect. They gave up a catching uh, prospect and, and two two arms. Um, but the Braves are still in win-now mode. You lose Freddie Freeman, um, then you have a huge hole at first base. And they just filled it very quickly. Uh, Pache was great for the Braves down the stretch, but um, he was more of a defensive guy, especially at this stage in his career. He's got some steps offensively to take, but you – plug in Olsen and you've still got one of the best infields in the, in the league. So they're not dropping off by much and they're, they're getting Ronald Acuna jr. Back. So, you know, I'm not saying addition by subtraction with Pache or whatever, but you're getting him back from injury. You should be getting a Mike Soroka back and hopefully he comes back and still shoves. They've got a good young rotation. They struggled at times last year. Uh, and I think they signed Kirby Yates, um, Great back-end arm. If he's not closing games anymore, he's a former closer. So you've got that high-leverage arm in the bullpen again. The Braves are going to be very good again. Make make no mistake about it, the Braves are going to be very, very good. And as sad and as much as it sucks to see a cornerstone of a franchise walk, that's the nature of the business, and it happens. But there's some other trades going on right now. Um, Very interesting stuff. From a baseball perspective, the Twins and the Rangers traded. um, It was Mitch Garver going to Texas for Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, the shortstop. Very good up-and-coming shortstop. Um, And then you turn around today, and the Twins trade um, Isaiah and Josh Donaldson to the Yankees for Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. I'm not exactly sure what's going on here, but it seems like the Twins are just going to start tanking. Just go into sell mode. Um, go into sell mode and, and see what they can do. Um, interesting time to start tanking, but the Twins have been in that weird realm of towards the top of the division. They couldn't beat the Yankees for a long time in the playoffs, and then now... Uh, it's pretty much the White Sox division to to lose. So they've got a ton of young talent. They're better than the Twins. So the Guardians are going to continue to be in that mix, I guess. You know, they lost some key pieces, but they, they just kind of hang around. They've got a really great – I don't know what it is. Their, their pitching system, it seems like they're always bringing up another arm every other year, and, and their rotation's great. And then the, the back end of their bullpen is good too, so – I think the Twins kind of realized they were in purgatory and 
they're just selling everybody off and they're going to try to acquire some young pieces, I guess. But Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela, uh, yikes. So then um, another team that seems to be tanking, well, I guess two in a sense, um, Cincinnati. Cincinnati is uh, selling everybody off. Sonny Gray uh, went to – Sonny Gray got tw- traded. He actually got traded to the Twins. So I'm not sure what's going on there, but the Twins are doing some major r- roster reconstruction. I'm I'm still going to stick with the, the, that they're tanking. Um, and then Cincinnati was trying to get rid of the Eugenio, Eugenio Suarez contract. So they dealt him and Jesse Winker, all-star from last year, absolutely, absolutely demolishes right-handers, um, dealt him to Seattle, who had 90 wins last year. Now they get a huge bat for the middle of their lineup, and they gave up three prospects, nothing nothing crazy. Um, so big win for the Mariners there, I think. I think this year is the year that the Mariners finally break through and make the playoffs. And then... Uh, Oakland, Oakland is, Oakland does this like, feels like every five years or so. They've got to keep their low payroll. A lot of guys end up coming up through the system together or they trade for guys and they put it all together. They have a couple playoff runs, but, um, oh, so Oakland traded Olsen to Atlanta and they're now, and they traded Chris Bassett to the Mets. They've also been uh, openly shopping Matt Chapman, their gold club third baseman. So I think Oakland's going to go back to square one, collect all of these prospects, do their thing. They're like they're like a poor man's raise, I guess you could call it. Like the Rays don't keep anybody. They don't really pay anybody either. So you just, you just cycle through players. You cycle through prospects and young guys, and you put it all together for a year or two. You know, sometimes you extend them out a little bit, like this Olsen-Chapman type of thing the last few years in Oakland and you play money ball. That's, that's what it is. So um, another big uh, note, Carlos Radon was probably one of the bigger arms left on the market. Him and Kershaw, Kershaw went back to the Dodgers. Um, Radon goes to the giants who had a surprise year last year. I don't know. I told everybody they were frauds and I, I still stand on that last year. They just, their pitching staff is very, 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 very good. And it's great now with Radon. Um, but they're not going to, I, I don't know. I can't see them. I guess, you know, they're going to hover around that second or third place. Again, the Padres have been disappointing, but I think the Padres are better on paper. They just have to put it together on the field. So MLB free agency, stay patient. I mean, some guys are still going to fall off the board. You've still got some, some big name guys. Like I mentioned, Correa Freeman still hasn't signed technically, although, uh, like I said, all signs are pointing to the Dodgers. Rizzo still has to sign. Chris Bryant still has to sign. They're saying talks are heating up with the Rockies, which, again, very interesting. Doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but, hey, go get it. And then uh, Trevor Story. Trevor Story from the Rockies. Um, he's getting a lot of looks, too. So we'll see what happens. It's been very interesting. And then uh, kind of changing gears a bit, looking at the NFL – the NFL has had this pop, this great big pop, whereas uh, Major League Baseball had the pop right before the lockout. And everyone's kind of upset, especially, well, not everyone. Ravens fans have been very upset because today was the first day of the tampering period, 
and the Ravens haven't made any moves. And I just need everybody to stay patient because it's very rare that we see a guy, that we see teams come out, uh, you know, come out of the gates and like sign a ton of players and then dominate the next year. It just doesn't happen. I think, um, you know, the Jaguars went out today and they spent a lot of money. I don't know that they spent that money well. I think that they spent some of it well. I think Brandon Scherf is a really good signing. I think that some of the defensive guys they got, uh, interesting, but but decent signings. Um, apparently, Atlanta wanted to bring that, that linebacker back. I've never heard of him. Um, they got a couple of defensive tackles as well. And then um, they got Evan Ingram, who's a really high upside tight end. But then you go and lock up $114 million between Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. Not exactly anyone I would call a top-tier receiver. And they're losing DJ Chark, who I would argue is better than both of them. Um, They have LaVisca Chenault, and they have Marvin Jones. So they just have a lot of regular guys they're throwing out there wide. So um, interesting day from the Jaguars. Um, Interesting day from a couple of other teams. But stay patient. I mean, if you look at the... If you look at the top free agents still available, like top, I'd say two or three at each position are still there. Um, Aside from J.C. Jackson, no real big name signed today. Hassan Reddick, but I wouldn't even call him a crazy, you know, top end edge guy. He's he's a fun he's a fun edge guy. He's he's good. Don't get me wrong, but when you have guys like you know Chandler Jones, Von Miller. Zadarius Smith out there. I'm not losing sleep over Hassan Reddick. Um, Justin Reed signed today. The other thing that that you have to understand, and I don't know when people are going to listen to this, but if you're listening on Tuesday morning, like there's a lot of stuff that still has to happen. The new league year doesn't even start until Wednesday at four. So you've got teams that are still cutting guys. You've got you've got teams that are still going to try to make some trades to free up cap space. So all this like tampering stuff and, and good on the teams if they got everything they wanted to get done before today. But I mean, you've got guys that probably haven't even entered the race yet. Um, center has been an interesting position because you've had a lot of guys resign. Um, you have, uh, excuse me, you have, um, Ben Jones re-signed with Tennessee. Ryan Jensen off of Tom Brady coming back, which I'm ignoring Tom Brady. I don't care. He came back. Fine. Whatever. He's back. Tampa's going to be fine for another year or two. The NFC's super weak. I'm ignoring Tom Brady at all costs. I hope Deshaun Watson goes to the NFC South, and I hope that uh, the Saints win the division or the Panthers win the division. I don't. I'm done with Tom Brady. Anyway, so of course Ryan Jensen goes back there. Um, the Rams re-signed their center. I think there was one other team. But so now the Ravens are, I don't know if you want to call it a crossroads, but 
Bradley Bozeman's a free agent, and he's probably the top center available, so he's probably going to pull good money. I don't know if we should overpay for him. We re-signed Patrick McCarry, and I know he played some tackle for us, but he played some center for us while Bozeman was out too, and he didn't do bad. So we've got McCarry locked up for a little bit, and then you know we're talking about the Tyler Linderbombs of the world at, at 14. I don't want us to take him at 14. I've said this all offseason. Get the best player available at number 14 because there's going to be a lot. The top 10 teams in this draft are notorious for fucking the draft up. So go get the best player on your board and worry about offensive line later. We found Bozeman, I think, in the was it the third, the fifth round. He wasn't a top pick. Ryan Jensen was a sixth-round pick. Like, you can find a quality center late in the draft. So go do that. If you, if you absolutely need to draft a center, get somebody late in the draft. Don't freak out. We have other needs, and there are better players available. If you can save that money and go get a Zadarius Smith, bring him back. You can go get a Honey Badger. Bring him here like he, he should have always been a Raven, but I digress. You go get a Bobby Wagner. I don't know where he wants to go, but he is very content. I know Russell Wilson is kind of, um, Russell Wilson is recruiting him to Denver. And there are some other teams too, but, you know, if we don't get Zadarius Smith, do we, Grab a vet like Chandler Jones. So there's a lot there's a lot going on here. And I think the Ravens still have cap room to to make and free up. Marlon Humphrey's on Twitter every day recruiting guys to come to the Ravens. So I'd be very shocked if we didn't restructure his deal. I think he knows he's here for the long haul and he'll get that guaranteed money. So I'd be very shocked. I'd be very shocked. Um I am a little Worried about the Lamar Jackson contract situation, and it sounds silly, but he's on his fifth-year option, so we'll have him for this year. We'll we'll most definitely franchise him if we don't get a deal done next year. But then do you double-tag him? Do you try to lock him up for long-term? I don't know what's going on here, but and I wasn't really nervous either until uh, the Good Morning Football update about it was essentially Mike Garofolo essentially said, we're putting together deals and we send it to Lamar and he just doesn't respond. So I don't know if we're not in the ballpark, if we're not in his yearly range. I don't know. There's a number of things. Are we not in his year's range? Like Lamar's also young. So does he want like a four-year high guaranteed contract so that he can hit free agency again before he turns before he turns 30? That's, that's potential. Um or, you know, the quarterback re- market resets every year. So maybe that's part of it, but I don't know. You know, do you offer him a 10-year deal? But then he's obviously going to command 50, 50-ish mil a year. So I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if it's a yearly thing, if it's a salary thing, if it's a guaranteed money thing. Like, do you want a fully guaranteed contract like Kirk got? I don't know, but I'm starting to get a little uneasy about it. Going to the season, we'll see what happens because I don't think a, a deal's getting done. If a deal would have gotten done, it would have gotten done now. 
I don't think you get one done going into training camp because by that time, free agency's going and passed. You know, what are you going to do? Like, because a lot of times these extensions, they're cap friendly now, hurt you later. So I don't know what that looks like, but um, a little uneasy about that. But I need everybody to calm down. I've seen a lot of stuff, like I said, on Twitter, just why aren't the Ravens doing anything? Why aren't the Ravens doing anything? I think that's a lot of shock right now, right? We just had the worst season we've had in since uh, since the Flacco years, and it hurts, and it sucks. Lamar got hurt, but everybody be patient. Like, I don't I, – I debated talking about this, and I don't think that EDC is on the hot seat, but you can't have two off-seasons where they're kind of viewed as strikeouts. Um the draft was decent last year. Obviously, Adafe Owe, he's going to be a force. Rashad Bateman showed his flashes. We didn't we didn't kill it with the late round picks last year, but um and then we didn't make any I mean we signed, you know, a couple guys in free agency. Sammy Watkins, not a non-factor, but not a not a star. And then Villanueva, who I mean, he was god awful. Like to the point of I almost don't want to talk about it, but you guys saw what happened, right? He, he got on the field, decent insurance policy for Ronnie Stanley, but he was still so, so bad. Uh, Lamar was running for his life, probably part of the reason Lamar got hurt. So you can't have two off seasons like that, right, where it's just, it's just bad. Like, it was just bad. So um, – I think if you have another offseason like that, like if we strike out in free agency this year, if we don't sign an edge guy, if we don't sign a, a Tyron Matthew, if we don't sign um, even not, you know, a Bobby Wagner or at least beef up the D-line, try to grab a, a decent offensive lineman or, or just have a bad signing, that's possible too. I think if that happens and then we combo that with a bad year, Next year, I think you got to start looking at EDC and, and and Harbaugh for that matter. But that's that's down the road. Um, but people are getting uneasy. But you have one one bad off season, one bad season to a fan base who's used to success expects success expects success, and it starts to become a problem. So, I mean, we're also coming off a year like two two years ago. We drafted Patrick Queen, who's started pretty much every game. And linebackers in Baltimore are always going to ha- have it harder than everywhere else because they're not going to, like, they're just not going to be Ray Lewis. And that's what we used to have. And that's what we're used to. But Patrick Queen was not a bad pick by any stretch. J.K. Dobbins was a steal in the second round. Justin Matabuike in the third round. Devin Duvernay, like Tyree Phillips, when he's been on the field, he's been very good. I don't hate Broderick Washington either. So we've had some really good drafts. Or, you know, we've had some good picks, I should say. So let's let's settle down on the freaking out page. Let let EDC go to work. Let him do his thing. Let these guys that get paid a lot of money do their thing. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Like I said, J.C. Jackson is the only top guy that's off the board right now. I know Justin Reed was rumored to Baltimore. And he just got signed by the Chiefs about an hour ago. 
Good for him too. Great. I don't know that I want Justin Reed here. So the NFL free agency, there's there's going to be a long it's going to be a long time. There, there's going to be a lot of moves that happen over a long period of time. Don't freak out over this first burst. Um, you take a look at the rest of the league. Um, Cincinnati appears to be addressing their needs so far at offensive line, which if they didn't, it would be kind of silly. Um, and I, I alluded to it a little bit earlier, but Deshaun Watson – um, he is going to the NFC South, it appears, either Carolina or New Orleans. Interesting spots for both of those because both have weapons on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I'd be interested to see how Michael Thomas with Deshaun Watson, um, especially since Michael Thomas hasn't really played, but um, DJ Moore with Deshaun Watson, and then both teams have great running backs. So, be, it'll be really interesting to see where he goes. I hope he goes down to the NFC South because that that division was looking real bad before Brady came back and before these rumors. So interested on that. Um, and the Chargers are making a run. The Chargers are – they realize that the Chiefs are in their division and they are beefing up on defense. It's all. It seems like it's all defense. Um, they, they're putting Khalil Mack opposite Joey Bosa. They signed a couple defensive tackles today. J.C. Jackson um, to go in that secondary with Derwin James. Chargers are going to be filthy. Um, and don't think that uh, that Russell Wilson to Denver, I don't know. Everyone's been saying they've been a quarterback away, and somewhat, I guess. You lose your defensive head coach, who was the strength of the team, and Vic Fangio is a great coordinator. I think he's a bad head coach, but he's a great coordinator. And he was coaching the defense the last couple of years. The secondary has was has been very good. They hit a home run with Patrick Sertan. Um, Justin Simmons is a very underrated safety. Their front seven, Bradley Chubb is great. Von Miller might go back there. They were good at stopping the run, but looking at their roster, I don't really know a lot of these guys. Their front seven is not that front seven from the 2015 team. Point blank. Um, even if Von Miller goes back there, he is aging a bit, and he benefited from a really strong D-line in L.A. But peak, peak Bradley Chubb is not peak Von, and that's when Bradley Chubb can stay on the field. He's been injured a lot. So you look at an offense where they're they're not constructed much different from Seattle. You've got a good run game, decent spotty offensive line. I wouldn't call I wouldn't call Denver a top ten offensive line. I wouldn't call them a bottom ten offensive line. I know offensive line has been a big problem for um, for Russ in Seattle. A lot of that I would attribute to like good pass rush, good pass rushes in the other, on the other teams in the division, which you're not getting away from that here. Chris Jones is still in KC. Now you've got Bosa, Mack. Um, the Raiders were one of the best teams at getting after the quarterback with a four-man rush last year, so you're still not getting away from that. And then you have a receiving core. They're young, they're good, but would right now. 
if you had everything else in place, would you take DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett or Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy? Cortland Sutton can't stay healthy. Jerry Judy has yet to show us anything. I understand his quarterback situation has been bad. I get that. But Tyler Lockett, proven vet, and DK Metcalf's an athletic freak. And if you can't get him the football, then there's a problem. Like, I would still take Seattle's receivers over Denver's. So, like, how much of this has been Russ's fault in Seattle? I don't know. Geno Smith looked better than him last year. So, stay tuned. I mean, the NFL free NFL offseason is going to get it's, – it's just going to keep ramping up until about, dra- until about the draft. Then it'll cool off for the summertime. But should be a fun couple of months. Um, this whole this whole thing, uh, this whole offseason should be fun. Like I said, fingers crossed that EDC hits a home run somewhere. Maybe it's a trade. Maybe it's a – he seems to, to be really good with those. Let's send a fourth-round pick. I'm getting all pro. I'm down with that. Um, so we'll see what happens. I got one more segment for you guys. Stay tuned. All right, so last segment, um, kind of a, a last-minute segment, too. I was I was watching the uh, Nuggets and Sixers game tonight. Really, really fun matchup, I thought, with, with two of your MVP candidates going head-to-head. Um, same position, too, so that's always fun actually getting to watch these guys guard each other, play against each other, and do their thing. Um, so you had, obviously, Nikola Jokic and and Joel Embiid. I think <clears throat> I think tonight Embiid was the best player on the court, and, I, and, and he shut down Jokic while he was guarding Jokic. Jokic shot poorly the whole thing. A lot of his damage came when uh, Embiid was off the court. So... I think right there, if you're talking like MVP race, I think you kind of have to give the nod to Embiid, but then they lose the game. They had, they come out of the gate strong. They had a really strong first quarter. Um, I think like 15, 15 point lead. They end up extending it to like 17 or 18 in the second quarter. And then um, Embiid starts to get in a little bit of foul trouble. He comes off the court, and Denver starts to close the gap, right? Um, even to even uh, Embiid comes back on the court, immediately gets another foul, goes back to the bench for the last two minutes, and the Nuggets close it to a five-point lead by halftime. Um, Embiid plays most of the third quarter. They leave. They lead by, I think it was seven, going in, and then they get outscored in the fourth by 11 points, mostly due in part to um, a Bones Highland explosion, which, I mean, if you saw that coming, I think you're, you're, you're crazy. But um, Bones Highland, DeMarcus Cousins played well down the stretch, which I every time I turn on Denver this year, I forget that they still have – that they have Cousins and that he just comes off the bench and um, give you minutes when Jokic is getting some rest. But the fact that they lost at home to the Nuggets – who are a very good team, but the Nuggets don't have two of their three best players. Uh, they've been playing without them all season, obviously, but kind of tells you a story. And I've watched a lot of Philly since the since the Harden trade, and they play very well. I think Harden fits in this offense. I think he makes Maxi and Tobias Harris better. Um, you know, Thibel is 
Diable. He's a, he's a defensive guy. He's your he's your ball stopper, right? So, but I start to look, and then over the course of the last three games, I would say since, um, over the, yeah, just over the course of the last three games. So they played the Nuggets tonight. They played Orlando on Sunday. So they were on a back to back, and that game was overtime. So, like. Gassing out in the fourth quarter tonight, okay, fine. But you're going to tell me that, like, you're not going to have hard games in the playoffs. You're not going to have dead legs in the playoffs. you still got good weight. You've got the home stretch here for the rest of the regular season. And, then, like, playoff games are hard. So I, I don't want to give any, like, excuses or anything like that. But coming off an OT game in Orlando and then coming home to Philly, sure, that's hard. But – at the same time, I don't think you should have gone to overtime with Orlando. Like, you were 11-point favorites. Why were you hovering around with the Magic, who have been abysmal at home, by the way? They've been terrible. I don't know what it is, but they've been awful at home. So, and it's weird because the, the Magic are bad, but they don't lack talent. I don't know if that makes any sense, but they have a lot of guys, a lot of lottery guys, whatever. I think it's a matter of figuring out their rotation, their starting five, the whole thing. But that game shouldn't have been close. Should not have been close. And then you're coming off the the Brooklyn game where you got blown out by 30. So I wanted to take a look because if you look at their schedule, you know, have they really beaten a good team since, you know, the, the Harden trade or – you kind of take a look and you're like, okay, well, maybe not, right? So Cleveland and Chicago are both kind of floundering. And yeah, so I'm just kind of looking and I don't know in a game where Harden has played, I don't know that they beat a good team yet. And I mean, they lost to Miami um, pretty handily, but Harden didn't play in that game. So that was back-to-back, too, after they beat Cleveland on a Friday night. So I start looking. I'm looking, and I didn't – full disclosure, I didn't watch the Orlando game on Sunday, but I did watch the, the Brooklyn game. And Philly's not deep. Philly tonight played nine guys – and, you know, you have four guys who played 36-plus minutes. And Embiid's minutes may have been a little bit higher if he wasn't in foul trouble. So you have four guys, Maxi, Harden, Tobias Harris, Embiid, playing 36 or more minutes. And as I alluded to earlier, these guys, I mean, Harden has always been a minutes monster um, and they've kind of played this way all year, but by the end of the year, they, these guys are going to be gassed. And it's a testament to how well Embiid is taking care of his body, that he can play these minutes and not get hurt, because that's obviously the big knock on Embiid. Can he stay healthy? Well, he's been healthy this year, and he's been great. MVP. But, again, like I said, tonight, Embiid was the best player on the court, and they lost. They blew a lead. Um, so... You know, Niang is probably their – he's their sixth man. He went two for 12 tonight. That's not going to happen all the time. If he shoots well, they're going to do well. But Danny Green, 0 for 5. 
And then DeAndre Jordan and Shake Milton both had a basket apiece. That can't happen. I mean, you've got... You had what? That's... dead 14 bench points tonight. That's awful. That's terrible. Meanwhile, Denver had 48 points off the bench and had the Bones Highland explosion. But, again, kind of points to... And he did most of that in the fourth quarter. Again, po- points to... Are we playing defense in the fourth quarter? Like... I don't. I can't recall if Dybul was on the court when he was kind of going off, but even so, are you putting your best defender on a Bones Highland? No. So James Harden, Tyrese Maxey. I don't know that I trust them. Maybe not not trust them defensively, but they're not the same caliber of defense. Embiid, Tobias Harris, and Thibel are going to play D. That's what's going to happen. But if you have a guard that can come off the bench when these guys rarely do go to the bench and go off for, you know, six minutes, have a, have a quick explosion, and then all of a sudden you blow a lead, and then it's close down the stretch, and we all know how the NBA goes. When it's close down the stretch, your stars take over. So it can go either way at that point. But point being, should this game have been close tonight? I don't know. I, I don't think so. But Denver just kind of chipped away. Chipped away, chipped away. You look at the Orlando game. That game never really got... I mean, Philly was down. And then they they battled back in the second half. They took it to overtime. They won by by two. But, again, they went to overtime, so keep that in mind. So you had four guys play 41 or more minutes. Same four guys I alluded to before. Niang played 35 minutes off the bench, and he played really well. But... Harden went five from 19 from the field, but, you know, that that being said, Embiid, Tobias Harris, and Harden combined for, that looks like, 86 points. Yeah, 86 points, so that that's great. Uh, Maxi had a bad game, three for nine. Usually doesn't happen from him. He's usually very efficient. But, again, they played nine guys. You played nine guys, and... Two of them didn't get. Two of them didn't hit a bucket, and uh, a third hit one three. Everything else came from your top six, and and Thibel was shut out, over four from the field. So you play a team like the Magic. They're young. They're rotating in ten guys, and again, you know they had a big contribution from their bench because they're deep and they don't really have like the real star factor there, but. Kind of points to what I was what I pointed out tonight with oh these guys came off the bench they did well fresh legs down the stretch you know and Philly won that game because they're the better team but I don't know if that should have ever been that close and then you look at the Brooklyn game and you have a terrible night from James Harden he didn't perform it crazy right Harden Harden went ghost in a big game. Uh, that happens, right? But but with this team, you can't have that. You can't have one of your big three. I guess it's like a big, big. It's like a dynamic duo with with two really solid players in Harris and Maxi, and it's kind of they kind of alternate. Like Harris will have a good night, and then Maxi will have a good night. So it's your it's your big two, and then pick your third on any any given night, but. You can't have a bad shooting night from James Harden in the playoffs. 
you can't have a, a three for nine from Tyrese Maxey in the playoffs. It, you're not deep enough. DeAndre Jordan being on this team is a joke. I, I mean, I guess he, he's still talented, but I don't know. He's big. He's going to get you rebounds. I I don't know. Coming off the bench, I guess, but I'm not sure why he's really getting minutes over like a Paul Millsap. I'm not saying Paul Millsap's a big bruiser. I guess he fits a little bit better in that Embiid role when Embiid does have to come to the bench, but I don't know. I, I think Millsap could give you some good minutes. And then a Danny Green, too. When Danny Green comes off the bench, is he going to go 0 for 5 or is he going to go 4 for 5? Like, he's kind of polar, right? He One or the other. And guy, that's going to happen. Guys are going to have bad shooting nights, but it, it certainly can't be Embiid. Embiid has to put on every single night for this team. Harden can't go ghost. Harden has to play well and play well. And then you've got to get a contribution from Harris or Maxi or both. Or Niang has to come off the bench and hit a few threes and energize that that part. But you put the pieces together, and, and Philly's going to play D. Philly, Philly's going to play D. I, I know I said you know Harden and Maxi aren't the best perimeter defenders, but, but they're going to play defense. They're going to play at their pace. But when you play a team like Brooklyn, where when Kyrie's on the floor, of course, but Durant and Kyrie are going to get theirs. Seth was on fire. And then you still have solid players coming off the bench for them. Patty Mills. I'm not a huge Claxton guy, but whatever. Um, Cam Thomas can shoot. LaMarcus Aldridge is still playing at a decently high level. And they don't have Ben Simmons back. So when you throw in Ben Simmons into that equation, what happens? I'm not sure. But point being, they're not very deep. I, I, I really like Philly. And and maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these guys playing 35, 36 minutes a night will benefit them in the long run because they'll be used to it and, and more minutes matter in the playoffs, obviously. But it's strange. Strange uh, thing. And I, it's, I, I like kind of evaluating these teams after the trade deadline, how these new pieces fit. But again, you know, you beat a Chicago team, you beat a Cleveland team who have both been overwhelmingly average since like February 1st over the last month and a half of the season. So um, it'll be interesting. I'm going to keep an eye on Philly down the stretch. They've got Cleveland again. Um, They don't really have, yeah, they don't really have an easy game until the, the, until like April. So it'll be interesting. Um, Maybe they'll recharge with some of those April games, but the rest of March is uh, Cleveland. I know I said they're they're average, but it's going to be in Cleveland. I don't know if that's going to matter. Um, Cleveland, Dallas, Toronto, Miami, the Lakers, the Clippers, um, Phoenix, Milwaukee. Is there next? Is that four? That's their next eight games. That's a tough stretch. Tough stretch. I'm going to keep an eye out on them. See how those go. Um, They'll win. They'll win a fair share, but I'll, I'll be interested because as we get to the end of the season, it starts feeling more like playoff basketball. Teams are jockeying for seeding, and you know you got to put into account who's resting, who's not, load management, the whole thing. But 
Very interesting. I think Embiid's still your MVP. He's going to be the MVP if without him this team doesn't go. So um, should be fun. NBA down the stretch is going to be fun. I'm going to keep an eye, keep keep one eye on them while I'm watching March Madness the rest of the season. But uh, that's it. That's the podcast. Thanks for tuning in as always. And uh, subscribe. Tell your friends if you like this. Great. If not, listen next week. Maybe it'll be better. See you guys. Washington's on your side. It must be nice. It must be nice to have everybody on your side. It must be nice. It must be nice to have them Washingtons by your side. It must be nice. It must be nice.